And let's be honest, some of you learned some really cool stuff today, didn't you? You're like, oh man, I didn't know that, right? Now here's the thing, the reason it's kind of cool for us as adults to know that is because ultimately we're going to begin a new journey today. We are going to spend the next 15 weeks in the book of Galatians. And it's an exciting book. I love the book of Galatians. It's incredible. But one thing I want, you know, one reason I'm excited about jumping in the book of Galatians is because over and over and over again, we are going to see that the Apostle Paul reminds us of one foundational truth. God absolutely loves you. Over and over and over again. You're going to see this word grace a whole lot. You're going to see this idea of what God has done for us a whole lot. Why? Because Paul was driven to tell this churches of Galatia, the area of Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey, all these churches there, he was, he was desired and was passionate about telling them that you have a Heavenly Father who, quite frankly, loves you. And you need to know that. And on top of that, here's how you can live in a way that's pleasing to him. So we're going to begin an incredible journey. So if you're ready to begin that journey with me, would you say amen? amen? All right, let's stand together. Here we go. Galatians chapter 1. Chapter 1 of the book of Galatians. Here we go. Verse 1 through verse 9. This is the word of God and what it says. Paul, an apostle, not for men, not through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Verse 6. This is big. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you into the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who trouble you who want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As, he, as, as we have said before, so now I say it again. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be what? A curse. Let's pray. God, we love you. I thank you for this passage today. God, as we begin this incredible and exciting journey, would you open our eyes to your truth? Would we see your word in a powerful way today? And it's in your precious son's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, as we look at this passage, as we begin to navigate this, there are going to really be three things I want to point out. Three things that Paul is going to address and these first nine verses. But before we get to the three things, before we jump the gun and get to the three things that Paul addresses, I don't want us to skip over something that's crucial. You know, sometimes we read the Bible, we kind of skip over some stuff to get what we call the meat of the passage. Well, I don't want us to skip over it because what Paul says in the first two verses is essential to the readers of the churches of Galatia. Let's go back to verse one and two. Let's look what he says here before we get into the three things he addresses. He says, Paul... An apostle, not from man, not through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me. The first thing Paul establishes is who he is. And he's writing a letter to multiple churches in the area of Galatia. It's not one church, it's multiple churches. And he knows, I'm going to write this letter. And this letter, quite frankly, is going to step on some toes. 
This letter is going to create a little bit of an uproar because what I'm going to complain against them is going to be something that's going to be something that they're really going to push back against. So I need them to hear my words. I need them to understand that God has put this in me to send to these churches. So he starts with something crucial. He says, Paul and apostle. That phrase is huge. Now, we know what an apostle is. An apostle in the New Testament was someone who saw Jesus. And we know that Apostle Paul, on his way to Damascus to kill Christians, had an encounter with a resurrected Jesus. He saw the physical Lord Jesus resurrected on the road to Damascus, and it changed his life. But Paul says, I am an apostle. Now, listen, I'm not an apostle appointed by man. I'm not an apostle through man. My apostleship comes from who? Jesus. Now, here's something that's so important for us to understand before we get into the things that Paul addresses. We need to understand that when Paul says, I'm an apostle sent by Jesus, that meant something. See, what he's saying is that as an apostle, when I, when I speak, I speak with divine authority. So what I'm saying is not from me. What I'm saying comes from who? Comes from the Lord. And so he wants them to know that I have divine authority. What I'm saying matters. And the idea is that he was commissioned, he was sent from Jesus. And so what he says carries weight. Now, just to be honest, if you're a church in Galatia who's living wrongly, you needed to hear him call himself an apostle. You need to understand that the words he's writing is not the opinion of Paul. It's not his biasness. What he is speaking with is divine authority. Why? Because Jesus himself has sent Paul. He's an apostle made by Christ. And so he has divine authority. It also means to say you're an apostle is not to have divine authority, but I have a divine message. I have something to share with you that is not from me, but it comes from God. Now, we know what that message is as you read the book of Galatians. It's the gospel of Christ. It's the gospel of grace. So Paul's establishing right out of the gate before he addresses anything. Here's what he establishes. I am not coming on my own merit. I'm not coming in my own wisdom. I'm not coming with my own bias. I am coming as an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm coming with his divine authority, and I'm coming with his divine message. In other words, perk up, listen up. You need to pay attention. Now, before I go any further, I think Paul would say the same thing to us too. Because what we're going to find out through the churches of Galatia is that we wrestle with some of the same things they wrestled with. And we need to realize that God's word is the divine authority in our life. We need to realize that we have a divine message, this gospel of grace. And we need to perk up and listen up because God has something to say to us today. And that's where we jump into the passage. Paul begins to address three things. The first thing he addresses is what truly is the gospel. What is the gospel? Now, I know you say, well, Doug, we know what the gospel is, and we do, but they had messed it up. So Paul, right out of the gate, decides, I need to address some things that these churches are struggling with, and so I'm going to address the gospel. Look with me in verse 3 and 4. Look what he says. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be all glory forever and ever Amen. Now, I want you to notice something there. Before he lays out the gospel, he offers a greeting from the Father, grace and what? Watch the other one, grace and what? Peace. Grace and peace. 
Now, this is really interesting that Paul would do this because in most letters, Paul would write and he would say, here's who I am. And then he immediately he would go, and I give thanks for you. And I give thanks to the Lord for you. But in this letter to the church of Galatia, there is no thanksgiving. It's like Paul says, I'm going to cut the fat and I'm going to get right to the point because you guys are messing up. And so what he offers is not thanksgiving, but grace and peace. Now, why would he begin his letter with issuing this acknowledgement of, I pray God's grace and peace on you, and he ends the letter with the same thing, grace and peace. Why? Because obviously this church of Galatia struggled grasping what real grace was. What is biblical grace? And if I ask you, if I were to start on this side of the room and work all the way to this side of the room and just ask you one question this morning, what is grace? Do you think I would get some different answers in the room? Unfortunately, yeah. So what is grace? Let me tell you what grace is. Grace is the unmerited, undeserved love and favor of God apart from spiritual performance. You might want to write that down. This is grace. This is the biblical definition of grace that we all need to memorize, we all need to know, and when we talk about grace, this is what we mean. It is the unmerited, undeserved favor and love of God apart from spiritual performance. Now let me walk that back a little bit and make it really simple. God loves you because God loves you. It doesn't matter what you've done. That's grace. He doesn't love you because you performed. He doesn't love you because you worked harder. He doesn't love you more because you obey more. He loves you just because. You didn't deserve it. You don't earn it. We sometimes don't uh, rejoice in it. We overlook it. We diminish it. But at the end of the day, grace means God simply loves you. You don't deserve it, didn't earn it, but he still loves you anyway. That's grace. And so what Paul does, he established this because what he wants them to know as a church is grace is the source of our salvation and peace is the result of our salvation. He wants this church to know we are saved by what? Grace through faith. And we're going to hear that. So he wants this church to know the reason he greets them was the idea of grace and peace because they misconstrued what grace was. So he says, listen, I want you to know that grace is the source of your salvation, not your works. And peace is the result of that salvation. And then he does something only Paul does in such a beautiful way. Then he breaks down what is the gospel, the clear message of the gospel. Now, I want everybody to look at me just for a moment. I've been in church uh, as long as I can remember. I've been a Christian for 41 years. And can I tell you something that's so true? Churches have done a really good job at complicating the gospel. We've done a really good job at that. So this morning, I want to simplify it. And I want to simplify it with the words of Paul. Look what he says again in verse 3, verse 4. He says, I offer you grace and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us. Period. That's the gospel. Real quickly, here's what Paul says. Let's leave this up on the screen. Here's what he says. Jesus, who gave himself. Now, I know oftentimes when we think about the cross and we think about Jesus and we think about it at Christmas time, we always go to John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he what? He gave. True. The father gave his son. But did you pick up on what Paul's saying? 
Jesus voluntarily, willingly gave himself. In fact, Jesus said this way another time in Scripture, in the Gospels. He said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. See, part of the gospel is us understanding that Jesus stepped out of glory and he gave himself for you and for me. He gave himself. And he did it for our sins. I know you know this, but I want you to be reminded of this. Our sins are what separate us from God. Our sin is what condemned us to a place called hell if we don't have a relationship with Christ. Our sins are weighty. And I've had people ask me, well, Doug, do you believe that hell is eternal? And the answer is yes. Why is it eternal? Why is it an eternal punishment? Because that's how long it takes to pay back your sin debt. Eternity is not long enough to pay back the debt you owe your Father in heaven. So Jesus says, I have come to give myself for your sins. I have came to pay a debt that, quite frankly, you can't pay. The theological term we use is substitutionary atonement, meaning that Jesus came to take Marty's place. So you know what Marty deserved? Because Marty's like Doug, because we're both sinners. We were sinners before Christ, and we rebelled against God. You know what? You know what Marty deserved? You know what I deserve? I deserve death, hell, and the grave. That's what I deserve. Did you deserve the same thing? I'm not trying to beat you down, but did you deserve the same thing? Yes, because our sin separates us from a loving, holy God. But Jesus says, I love you so much, I'm going to give myself, and I'm going to take your place as a substitution to pay for your sin. Now, I don't want to fabricate anything, but I just want to say this to you. If you really thought about that, that should be emotional for you. That should stir something in you to think, here's what I deserved, and Jesus goes, I'll take it. And not just for one person. It wasn't like he just did it for Drew. He did it for all of humanity. He said, I'll take the weight of the sin, and he went to the cross. Why did he do it? He gave himself for our sins to do what? To deliver us. He came to do what you and I could not do for ourselves. Can any of you save yourself? No. No. He came to deliver us. That, that, That really should translate, he came to rescue us. I don't know about you, but when I was nine years old, and I gave my life to Christ, before that, I needed to be rescued. I know that I was a sinner, and I was separated from God, and that if I died, I was going to spend eternity apart from him, and I understood what Jesus had done for me, and I needed rescued. And on June of my ninth, after my ninth birthday, I gave my life to Christ, and Jesus saved me, delivered me, and he rescued me. See, that's the gospel. Listen to me, church. The gospel is Jesus gave himself for our sins to rescue us, period, End of statement, that's the gospel. That's it. And it says he came to deliver us. Now, that word deliver us in the Greek here has a bit of ambiguity in it. On one side, it means what did he come to deliver us from? Well, we know that Jesus came, and if we put our faith in him, he's delivered us from the penalty of sin, right? Because we are sinners, what do we deserve? Death, hell, and the grave. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been delivered from that. Is that good news, church? Say amen. That's great news, isn't it? That what I'm going to see is not what I deserve. What I'm going to experience is forever and eternity in heaven with my Savior. See, the idea of delivering is he's come to deliver us from the penalty of sin, but he's also come to deliver us from the power of something. 
Look what he says here. Jesus who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. So Jesus hasn't only come to deliver us from the penalty of sin, he's also come to deliver us from the present evil age. Now he's not talking about, as you say, generations of wickedness. He's talking about a, a specific evil that we deal with. You know what that evil is? Everybody listen, you know what the evil is? It's, it is sin. But you know what the big evil is beyond sin? It's religion. It's religion. See, when we go through the book of Galatians, you know what we're going to find out? The one thing that Paul addresses over and over and over again, how they feel like they've got to go back to the Mosaic law, and they've got to live according to rituals and regulations and rules to appease and to be accepted by God. And over and over and over again, Paul says, it's not about rules, it's about grace. And you need to know that. And so Jesus came to deliver us from the penalty of sin, but he also came to deliver us from the power of religion. Religion says performance equals acceptance. The gospel says it's not about performance, it's just about grace. Now, why do I want you to know that this morning? Because some of us, even some of us who call ourselves Christians, have a bit of religion that creeps into our lives. Well, God will love me more if. God will bless me more if. God will care more about me if. And we let religion creep its way. It is a mindset. But I want you to know this morning, that is the simple gospel. And Paul, right out of the gate, addresses, here's what the gospel is. Jesus gave himself for our sins to rescue us. That's the gospel, and there's nothing else. And then he addresses a second thing I want you to notice, and it's found in verse 6 and 7. Now he's about to lay down the gauntlet. Ready? He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Now that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Here's what Paul does secondly. He not only addresses what is the gospel, he addresses what was the problem the churches of Galatia were going through. What was the problem that they were wrestling with? And Paul tells us it was their quick desertion of the gospel. These people that had received the gospel, now Paul wrote this letter somewhere between 48 and 55 AD is basically what we know. So we're talking anywhere from 15 to 20 years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So not much time has passed. And these churches in Galatia have formed, and they have the gospel, and many of them, these Jewish Christians are now, they've been saved and changed, and all of a sudden, somebody else comes in teaching a false gospel, and they all just jump ship. It would be like me saying, okay, all right, church, all right, East Campus, here it is. Here's the gospel. Jesus gave himself for our sins to rescue us, period, in a statement. That's the good news. That's the gospel. And you all would say what to that? Amen. You're not so sure. What would you say to that? Amen. Amen. And then it would be like if somebody else walked through the door and walked up on the stage, which they wouldn't because we would punch them. And so they walked up on this stage, and they said this. You know what? he said is true, but... If you really want to be saved, there's really one more step you forgot about, and you got to be baptized to be saved. If somebody said that, it would be like in this church's situation, they knew the gospel, somebody else came in and added to the gospel, and it'd be like if every one of you got up and said, okay, we're going to follow him and just leave with him. That's what happened in the churches of Galatia. They knew the gospel. Paul reiterates the gospel, but they had abandoned it. They had walked away to a false 
gospel. And what Paul is so perturbed about is not just that they deserted the gospel, but you pick up on what he said, how quickly you deserted the gospel. Now, why would they quickly desert this gospel of grace? I can tell you why. It's because they had no conviction about what the gospel was. And I'm just going to tell you with a lot of love in my heart, there's many of us that have enjoyed the benefits of God's grace, but we've not spent time wrestling with, understanding, and embracing what grace really is. And if a false doctrine came along, we might be prone to buy into that. And Paul was disturbed that they quickly abandoned. It's like it's, this idea of quickly almost carries the notion of you gave up no resistance. I mean, you put up no fight. I mean, you knew the gospel. Another person comes in, these false teachers, teaching a new gospel, and you're like, okay, fine. And you just walk away with them. I mean, you put up no resistance to this. Now, why is Paul laboring this? Because he wants them to know, when you deserted the gospel, you deserted God. Now, hear me on that, church. When we desert the gospel, who are we ultimately deserting? God. He says, when you desert the gospel, you deserted the one who brought you in by grace. When you desert the gospel, you deserted the one who loves you just because. And when you desert the gospel, you are deserting God. Why? Because you've turned your loyalties somewhere else. Did you pick up on what he said there in verse 6? Let's go back. He says, I am astonished that you were so quickly deserting him who called you into the grace of Christ and are turning to. That word turning to in the Greek means to be devoted to. So you've walked away from God's gospel of grace and you are now devoted to a false gospel? And he says, I'm astonished. That word astonished means I'm heartbroken. I'm sad. I'm sorrowful. I'm worried. I'm blown away. I don't know what to say. I am mind boggled that you would walk away from the gospel of grace and buy into another gospel. So Paul is laying the hammer down on them because he wants them to understand that you've abandoned the gospel and it's time to come back. And there's one more thing I want you to notice. Paul clearly addresses what is the gospel, what is the problem. There's one more thing he addresses, found in verse 7 through 9. Here's what he says. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel. But even if we are angels from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we have preached to you, let him be accursed. And as we have said uh, before, so I now say it again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you've received, let him be accursed. Here's what Paul does. He talks about and addresses what is the gospel. What is the problem? What have you done that blows my mind? But here's the most important thing he does. Why in the world does this matter? Why does it matter that you've deserted the gospel and gone to a false gospel? Why does it matter that you have no conviction of what grace and the gospel of grace really is? Why in the world does this matter? And let's go back to what he says. Look with me again in verse uh, 7. He says, there is no other gospel, but some will come to trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. I love this because here's what Paul says. False teachers are going to come to trouble you and to distort the gospel. We know that. We'll talk about that in a minute. But if you were to translate that out, it literally translates like this. The false teachers are coming and they will continue to come. Did you hear me on that? 
It wasn't like only one branch of false teachers were ever going to come. It's the idea that you have so quickly abandoned the gospel that you need to know that there's false teachers are coming to trouble you and to distort things, but they're going to keep coming. There are going to be more and more and more people that are going to come to you and they're going to pervert the gospel. They're going to either add to the gospel or they're going to take away from the gospel. It's going to be more than Jesus died for you and to rescue you and they're going to add more to it or take more away from it. There are people that are going to come. This is just the first group. And you've so quickly abandoned one, the true gospel, for a false gospel, I'm just blown away. See, he's letting them know that while you may have abandoned this one, there's another false teacher that's coming. And they come in to do two things. He says, first of all, they come to trouble you. That word trouble means to agitate and to shake you. In other words, they come to create doubt and to shake the very fabric of your belief system. And then they come to pervert. That means they come to modify what you know to be true and to make it something that is untrue. Just a quick question here. I wrote this down in my notes because I didn't want to forget to ask it. If you think about that, do we have false gospels in the world today? Come on. Do we have a lot? Oh, man. There's one gospel I mentioned a while ago. There's one false gospel that says to truly be saved, you've got to be baptized. So that means Jesus plus baptism equals salvation. That's a false gospel. There's some that would say, okay, if you, here's the false gospel. If, you can, if your good can outweigh the bad, somehow you'll get into heaven. Another false gospel is if you will do more right stuff and live in a way that is more pleasing to God, that's all you got to do is just do right stuff. Keep the rules and regulations of God's word, and then you'll get in. Some people say, no, 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 here's a false gospel. Listen, let's, let's be honest. All roads, they just lead the same way, right? All paths, I mean, there is, I can't just think of one false gospel. My mind is just reeling right now. There's one after the other, after the other, after the other, after the other, isn't there? We are inundated. <coughs> we are inundated with false gospels. <coughs> Paul says something powerful here. We tell me about water there, honey? I was a lineman. That was a good catch, wasn't it? I won't throw it back because I was a lineman. So anyway, we are inundated with false gospels, inundated with them. And I just want you to know, <coughs> they don't stop. And we must be rooted in what is the gospel. And then Paul has his harshest words left. Look what he said about those who bring the false gospel with them. He says this, let them be <coughs> accursed. And then in verse 9, as we've said before, and so now again I say, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you've received, let him be accursed. You know what the word accursed means? It means let them burn in hell. That's really what it means. If anyone preaches a gospel other than the gospel of Christ, here's what I desire for them, for them to burn, burn, burn in a place called hell. Why? Because they are preaching a false gospel that will take us away from Christ and away from eternal life and take us straight to hell. And so Paul's words for false teachers are, they got a special place in hell for them. And I pray that they are a curse that they would burn for all eternity. You think Paul took serious this idea of the gospel? You think Paul was serious about people that are teaching the gospel, teaching the right gospel and not a false gospel? See, for Paul, listen to me, church. I know I've been thinking about this for weeks on end, and you're like, okay, Doug, this is kind of new to me. But listen, we've got to get as serious about this as Paul was. There is one gospel. 
the only gospel. Jesus gave himself. He died for our sins to save us, rescue us, and to redeem us. Period. End of sentence. If you add to it or take it away, it is false. And the problem that we all wrestle with this, we are inundated with false gospels all the time. And how quickly do we entertain them? How quickly do we jump ship? You know, I've said this before, but I think it's important to say it again. You all probably know this. The National Treasury Department, you know how they determine counterfeit dollars, right? They don't study counterfeit dollars. They study the true dollar bill. And when the counterfeit comes along, they know it. And I'm telling you, if you want to be aware of the false gospels that are coming, if you want to have a high alert, if you want your spiritual radars to go off, it comes from not you studying all these wrong belief systems like, oh, I want to study <coughs> Jehovah's Witness or Mormonism. No. Study God's word. Study the truth of what he said. It's okay to have a knowledge in those things, but I have found out, even in my own life, when I start studying, I get addicted to that kind of stuff. And I pursue it and pursue it and pursue it. And what we need to do is put God's word in so deeply into our life. When a false gospel comes, we know it. See, for Paul, <coughs> this conversation was crucial. And here's why. Because Paul understood something that I want all of us to understand as we close this morning. And it's this. The greatest enemy to the gospel is religion. Religion focuses on us and what we've done. The gospel focuses on Jesus and what he did for us. Religion says, I am justified by what I do. The gospel says, I am justified and made right with God because of what Jesus has done for me. The religion says, the gospel plus obedience equals acceptance. The gospel says, Jesus plus nothing equals acceptance. See, Paul understood the greatest threat to the gospel is religion, legalism. And listen, we all have wrestled with this, haven't we? We've all wrestled with it. There's some of you in the room today, <coughs> you have been told at some point that if you want to be accepted by God, you have to do something. If you want to be forgiven, loved, accepted, you have to do these different things. And I just want you to know this morning, if you are a believer today, if you've accepted this gospel of grace, you are forgiven this morning. Do you believe that, church? Yes. You are forgiven, past, present, and future. You stand forgiven. And know you're forgiven, you are accepted. And not because of what you've done, but because you put your faith in what Jesus has done for you. See, here's the simple truth of the gospel. You ready? The simple truth of the gospel is this. The gospel <coughs> is not about performance. It's about God's grace. And we got to know that. So today, here's what I want to do. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for maybe the person in the room that's never trusted Christ, and you're searching. You are searching for something to bring significance and value and purpose to your life. Listen to me. The greatest message I could ever share with you is what Paul just told us about. Jesus loved you so much, he stepped out of heaven, became one of us to die on a cross for all of our sins to rescue us. So that we don't have to spend eternity apart from him in a place called hell, but we can spend forever with him in heaven. And here's my question, what are you going to do with that? You know the gospel of grace now. What are you going to do? Well, Doug, may I, I, I got to clean my life up first. No, you don't. 
Show me a story where someone straightened their life up before God rescued them. Show me a story. Apostle Paul was going to kill Christians, and Jesus interrupted his life. Show me a story. Show me someone that backed up and said, you know what, I'm going to clean my life up. I'm going to get things in order, and then I'll come to Christ. Show me that story, because the people who said those kinds of things never followed Jesus. They walked away discouraged and distraught. And I'm just saying, if that's you today, what are you going to do with the gospel of grace? Are you going to receive it? Are you going to stiff arm it? And if you need Jesus today, would you just simply acknowledge that you believe he did what he says he's done, that he came, he died for you, and would you surrender to us and say, Jesus, my life is yours. Forgive me my sin. Save me. Change me. And if you will say that, he will do that. But I also want to pray for believers in the room. I want to pray for those that are already convinced of this gospel of grace. Can we agree this morning and can we commit this morning not to take the gospel of grace for granted? Can we agree this morning and commit this morning that we need to do a deeper dive into the truth of God's word to truly get a better understanding of how God loves? Because listen, when we figure out and when we discover more than just saying it out of our mouth, but really understanding it at the very fiber of our being, how God loves us, it will change how you love other people. And can we agree this morning, if Jesus loves us that much, it's worth our investment. This word is worth us diving our lives into it to discover more about how much he loves us. See, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty jacked up sometimes. Anybody else like me? I'm pretty jacked up. But every time I think about it, a heavenly father loving me despite my failures, despite my flaws, despite my sins, and said, Doug, I love you, and if you will trust me and keep trusting me, I will change you from the inside out. Do we love people like that? No. But God loves you like that. And so if you're a believer this morning, would you just make a commitment to understand not only what the great gospel of grace is, but I need to understand the depth of it. And I don't just need to know it in my head. I need to cling to it with my heart. He loves me just because. Let's say that together. He loves me just because. Now say it like you mean it. He loves me just because. Now if you really process that, that's a hard pill to swallow for some of us, isn't it? But he does. And so maybe we need to make a commitment to the Lord as believers. Let's all stand together. Everybody stand. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Let's just pray. God, I love you. What a beautiful passage, Lord. What a beautiful passage as Paul navigates the tension in the church of Galatia, churches that had abandoned the gospel. I love what Paul did, Lord. He brings them back to the foundational, basic truth of what the gospel is. And God, for so many of us, we are like the churches of Galatia. We've been inundated with false gospels. People telling us that our good needs to outweigh our bad. That we have to do in order to be. That all roads lead to one path. God, we have been inundated with that. And some of us, quite frankly, Lord, have not recognized they are false. But God, I pray this morning that we would hear the heart of Paul. The reason he exposes their failures is so that they would come back to the gospel of grace. That they would come back to the truth 
what the gospel really is. And God, for some of us as believers, we need to come back to that. We are trying to perform our way for your blessing. We're trying to perform our way for more love. We're trying to perform our way so we feel like you're greater pleased with us. God, our obedience doesn't, because we obey doesn't mean we're accepted. Because we're accepted, that's why we obey. So God, help us get that this morning. Then God, I pray for that person who doesn't know you. What a beautiful picture that Paul gives us today of what you've done for us. How Jesus gave his life to rescue us. So God, I pray that somebody today might trust him as the Lord and their Savior. God, be with us. Bless us. Move in this time. For it's your son's name we pray. Amen. This morning, as always, if you've got something weighing on your heart and you just need to get alone with God, this altar is open. If you need to make a commitment to the Lord like we've talked about, about really diving into the truth of what grace is and how much God loves you despite anything you've done, this altar is open. If you need to trust Jesus this morning, I know Jason and Kelly are over there behind the curtain and Pat and Willie over there and I'll be standing right here would you please grab one and say, today, I need, to, I need to receive this gospel of grace that Doug's talked about. I want to surrender my life to Jesus. Because I promise you something, if God is tugging at your heart and you leave here and make no response, the more you walk away from the, the, the fainter that tug will become until one day you'll just walk away. The good news of Jesus for all of you, I don't care how messed up you are, but you've got to trust him. And would you do that this morning? How the Lord is leading you, let's be faithful to respond.